Good morning, church. The scripture passage for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of God. Hey, good morning, and welcome to Cross Point Downtown Online. So we're at week 10 of this, and so glad you joined us today. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Pastor Ryan, and I have uh, the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the church, and we're so thankful you could join us. Uh, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend, which makes tomorrow Memorial Day. And so I wanted to begin with a reflection on Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day is a day that we don't just celebrate, we actually remember. We remember uh, that there are those who died for our country who paid the ultimate price, who gave their life. And so Harry Truman uh, says in reflection on this, President Harry Truman says, Our debt to the heroic men and valiant women in the service of our community can never be repaid. They have, entered, uh, they have earned our undying gratitude. America will never forget their sacrifices. So my prayer for us is that we remember those who paid the ultimate price and that we would actually pray for our nation. So would you join me in praying for our nation right now? Lord, we pray for the United States of America. Lord, uh, as I say those words, I know that there's a lot of division that exists within our country right now. And Lord, we really do need a, a supernatural unity so that our nation would thrive. And God, uh, as we pray this prayer, we recognize that this prayer has been prayed before, and it has been prayed by many who have gave their life for our nation. So Lord, we ask that in remembrance of those who died, Lord, we would seek a better way forward for our country. 
And I believe, Lord, that that means that we have to seek you. So God, right now, we bow before you. And we ask, God, that you would be at work in our president, in our leadership, our legislature, our house, our judicial system. Father God, our governors and our city officials and local officials, Lord, that all of these people, uh, God, would first be impacted by your heart for our nation. And I know that's praying for a miracle, but Lord, my heart is for that. And God, I know there are ways in which you are seeking to bring that about right now. And we pray in remembrance and we celebrate because we have freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you look at chapters 8 and 9, Paul makes a shift. We're in 2 Corinthians right now, by the way. And uh, the shift that Paul makes is that he leaves from talking about repentance, and then he starts talking about money. He doesn't even use the word money, but you know it's there. And before you check out and turn off your online streaming, uh, because I know that, that you're not in the audience in the chairs in front of me and you can't walk out of the service if you were doing that, but you can decide not to listen to this. Um, if it's hard for you to, about, to hear about money coming from the word of God or the pulpit, then I would say that maybe it's because that's something you need to hear. Because you can't separate money from spirituality. And this is why Paul interjects this important piece to the church in Corinth. They couldn't separate their generosity from the grace that God had given them. So the primary thing that we see in this passage, this is the big idea, is that giving is a reflection of the gospel in your life. Your giving is a reflection of the gospel in your life. In other words, what you do with your money, how you see your money, how you spend your money, what your outlook is on money, what you do with your money tells something about what God has done for you. That's why it's important that we talk about money. That's why it's important that we talk about generosity. Paul knew this for the church of Corinth. If they were a church that was truly repented, uh, it would open their wallets. It would open their pocketbooks. It would open their bank accounts to be generous to others. And this is the heartbeat of the gospel for us today. So a little bit of the context here. Uh, Paul is on a fundraising campaign. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's hard to believe that if you look at chapter 8, verse 9, one of the most theologically rich verses in all of the Bible come from the middle of a fundraising campaign. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I mean, that verse is jam-packed with the incarnation of Christ and the work that he has done. And it came in the middle of Paul raising money for a church that had significant need. Paul's raising money for the church in Jerusalem, and he's raising money from these Gentile churches. He's making collections so that the church in Jerusalem can have their needs met. Uh, we don't know exactly what went on in the church of Jerusalem, but many of the historians and commentators believe that it was a church that was under severe persecution. The church in Jerusalem was made of, of Jewish converts. And to be a Jewish convert meant that you had to leave the faith of your family. 
in order to become a Christian. It also meant that people were ostracized or cast out of that family. And it meant they had to leave their, their wealth uh, that their family had had uh, or they were to inherit. It meant in a lot of cases they had to leave their family business so they lost livelihood. And also, to add insult to injury in Jerusalem, persecution was in play, but also a famine that took place in this time was also happening. And the church in Jerusalem had been one of the uh, most wealthy churches uh, that uh, was, was there, and it, it was a church that planted these other Gentile churches through Paul and the other apostles. But now it was the Gentile churches that were to show a display of unity and love for the church in Jerusalem. And Paul uses the example of the church in Macedonia. Uh, He says in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The first thing that we see in this passage is that uh, God's grace is the foundation for giving. God's grace is the foundation of giving. The church in Macedonia was a perfect example of God's grace transforming the way they viewed money. Because the church of Macedonia was a church of meager means. He says here that they were were, uh, a church that was in extreme poverty, that they had a severe test of affliction. You know, there's a church that I think of when I think of the church of Macedonia, and that's a small church in the middle of a slum or a favela in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Fifteen years ago, we went to a mission trip in Brazil, and part of the mission trip was to do a vacation Bible school in the middle of a favela to help plant a church, to to see a church plant established uh, in this shantytown. And when you walk into the community, you can see the poverty all around you. Many of the homes are built with plywood, cardboard, or plastic. They lacked all of the, uh, you know, the luxuries that we have today. Some of them lacked plumbing and electricity. And this church was there to bring the light of the gospel into the darkness of their community. And it was a church that was full of grace. And you knew it. Uh, The first night that we went to meet this church, before we did the vacation Bible school the next day, we had a celebration, kind of a get to know you with them. And when we walked in the church, we smelled the aroma of grace. Oh, it was so good. If you've never had feijoada, you have to try it. It's the Brazilian national dish. And on the stove were these pots that had been cooking for all day long. And it's this black bean stew filled with bacon and sausage and pork and chorizo. I mean, it was glorious. And I later learned that many of these church members couldn't afford to have meat on their plate, but yet they gave us the very best that they could. And not only that, they also gave us these goodie bags with Havaianas. Havaianas are wonderful flip-flops. It is the Brazilian national flip-flop. Uh, You can actually buy them here now. Uh, You can also get Guaraná, which was in our goodie bag as well, which is the national Brazilian soda. And then all of their wonderful treats and goodies that filled that bag. And at first, I didn't give it much thought as to how this church could afford to give us what they could. But I looked around for a minute and thought, you know, they gave us something greater than they even get themselves. 
they wanted to see that we experience luxuries that they don't get to experience every day. They wanted to give us a true and accurate taste of Brazil, but it actually gave us a more true and accurate taste of the grace of God through them. Uh, this church couldn't, many of them couldn't even afford shoes on their feet, but yet they gave us flip-flops. And as I was on the ride home uh, to my host home with the pastor, I asked, how could the church afford that? He said, they couldn't. He said that they insisted. They wanted us to know how special it was that we came to reach the community with them, to work alongside of them in reaching these kids in hopes of reaching their parents in hopes of reaching the city of this favela, this slum, this shanty town for Jesus Christ, that the light of the gospel would shine brightly in this dark place. And that meant the world to them. And I think they blessed us more than we could ever bless them by showing us this incredible display of generosity, overflowing wealth, even in extreme poverty. That's like the church in Macedonia. It was a church of meager means, but yet they gave. And they gave, and they gave. And they gave according to the grace that had been given to them by God. Over time, I learned the story of these church members in, in Rio das Pedras. I learned that you know, many of, of these church members were former drug dealers or drug abusers. And that they were converted to Christ and out of a life of either drug use or drug abuse or drug dealing. And it was a real significant deal. Many of the women uh, that were in Hio das Pedras were raised up to actually be prostitutes or to be sold into sex slavery. But when they came to encounter with the gospel, they came into an encounter with a life that not only freed them from sex slavery, but freed them spiritually to follow after Christ. And the grace of God transformed them. And I don't know the story of the members in Macedonia, but I would be willing to bet that there are some similar stories by which God renewed and restored them. And so money wasn't the foundation of their generosity. God's grace was. And God's grace was transformative. And it wasn't about the money. It was about seeing the grace of God overflow and overwhelm them. Verses three and four, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, but beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You know, Paul might have just had a prayer meeting for the church in Jerusalem with the members of the church in Macedonia, knowing that this church was impoverished and not able to give much. But as he bowed his head in prayer, one of the members said, wait, can we do more than pray? Can we give? And then those who are around them say, yeah, we want to give. We want to do more than pray. Can we give? And they made a collection right there and they gave it to Paul. And Paul was amazed. How in the world can a church who is so impoverished give so much for the sake of the gospel? And it was God's grace. You know, this was a church that wasn't looking for reasons not to give. They, were look, or they weren't looking for churches or for reasons to uh, not to give. They were looking for reasons to give. You know, today we oftentimes look for reasons not to give. And the foundation of that is lies, lies that we believe. I can't be generous. That's a lie that we believe. And why is that? Well, we say, I will give when I get more. 
If I just have more money, then I could give more money. It's real simple. I can't give until I get more. And so we say that, well, we're not a, we're not a recipient of God's grace and generosity because I just don't have enough. Or maybe uh, I can't give until I get out of debt because God doesn't want me to be a slave to my debtor. He wants me out of debt. But we say that because God wants me out of debt, that somehow God doesn't want me to be generous. But I would say to you that there's no verse in the Bible for that. In fact, it's a perfect time for you to show God's grace and generosity. Even though your gift may be meager, it can be given with a heart of gratitude through a heart of grace. Maybe we say, I'll give when the kids get out of college. I've got three kids that are going to go into college one day, and they're going to be one right after another. And that is a bill that I do not want to pay. But right now, uh, I can't skimp on giving for tomorrow because I realize that generosity is a reflection of the grace of God given me. Uh, I can't get, I'll give when I've become established in my career. Maybe right now you're on the stepping stone of the career ladder and you're just not there yet. You're not at the income bracket that you want to be in. And so when you get there, you're going to get there. And when you get there, you're going to give a whole lot, but you're not there yet. So you can't give anything. That's a lie. You can give because God has given you grace. And then finally, I'll give when I have financial security or financial peace. And financial peace is a good goal. We should all strive for it. But let me tell you something. You will never taste financial peace on this side of eternity. Why is that? Because there's always going to be more money you need to make and more money that's going to be spent And so ultimately, you can't wait to have the conditions perfect in order to give back to God. But right now, you have enough because you've been given the grace of God. Paul continues in verses 5 and 7. He says, In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. Giving wasn't just the foundation of, uh, grace was not just the foundation of generosity for the church. Grace was the extension of just generosity from the church. It was a spiritual discipline that they would grow in the grace, that they would excel in the grace of generosity. It's a spiritual discipline because we can always be generous. It's never dependent upon our bank account or our circumstances. I was amazed at this just a few weeks ago as I had the conversation with one of our members and he just lost his job. And I remember asking him if he needed anything because on behalf of the church, I wanted to see how we could support him and his family through this hardship. And he said, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, nervous about the future, and I'm praying for what God has ahead, uh, and I'm trusting him, but right now, I, I don't need anything. I'm, I'm fine. We're, we're doing okay. And then he turned the conversation around to ask how the church was doing financially. And I said, well, you know, the church is doing, we're doing all right. Uh, God's meeting our needs. We're able to meet the needs of others, and we're doing well. Thank, thank you. He said, well, I just want you to know that I'm going to continue to give through, uh, to my family, we're going to continue to give to the church through this. And my first response, it, it was instinctive. It was to say, you know what? Don't worry about that. You've got to kind of take care of you. You've got to get yourself back 
uh, into a job and then you could worry about generosity later. I realized that my instinctive response was actually sinful. And it was him who showed me that. He didn't have to rebuke me. He just used these words. He says, Pastor Ryan, when I can give, I will give. And that was true. He knew right at that moment he can give because he had something to give. And he's continued to give. And his family's continued to give. And one of the cool stories about that story of generosity from one of our church members to our church is that this church member and his family, they've been transformed by the grace of God here. I've seen God work in his life. And one of the authentic marks of Christianity that I got to watch in his life was this generosity that overflowed even through hardship. That's a mark of Christianity. That's a mark of reflecting the gospel of grace back to the world around us. The second thing we see is our giving points to a greater gift in verses 8 and 9. Paul says in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that our love for you, uh, that our love is also genuine. It's one thing to say you love someone. It's another thing to show you love someone. And Paul was asking for a genuine love to be displayed by a generous gift. And when love hits us hardest, it can hit us hardest in our bank account, our pocketbooks, and our wallets. And, you know, Paul said this is not a command. He wasn't referring to the fact that he wasn't commanded anything. Actually, Paul was commanding the church to be generous and to give. But he wasn't referencing a specific command of Christ. But Paul also wasn't giving this in a command in a sense that he gave them an amount. You see nowhere that there was an amount given here that Paul asks for. But it's simply a heart that demonstrates genuine love. And it's a heart that looks like this in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the crux of our passage. And he's reflecting upon the grace of God given to the church, and he calls them to look at that grace again. Look at the grace that God has overwhelmed you with. Look at the grace that God has shown you in Jesus Christ. Maybe he didn't know all the stories of the converts of the church in Corinth. I would be willing to bet that he knew many of them, just like I know many of the stories of the way you were shown the grace of God and are continually shown the grace of God today. He calls them back to look at that. For you know this grace, that though he was rich, that though he left the throne of heaven, that though he left the eternal riches of the glory of God, the shared glory of the Father. I mean, if you were to take all the gold bars that were piled into Fort Knox and multiply them by a billion, you could not contain the glory of God with that because that's where the real riches were. And he voluntarily left that for your sake because he was motivated by a genuine love. Jesus didn't just say he loved us. He demonstrated that love for us on the cross. Yet for your sake, he became poor. Now, Christ was homeless. Christ did not live a wealthy life here on earth. He did not live a life in the lap of luxury or comforts. But that's not what this passage is really talking about. 
It's that he became at the lowest form of humanity, the punishment of sin. He became sin for us, though he knew no sin. That Jesus was mocked, that he was despised, that he was rejected, that he was alone spiritually, even without the presence of the Father. And he became that impoverished for us. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So the king who left the throne of heaven and chose the cross is the king who gives us the glory and majesty and wealth of heaven because of that cross. So that through his poverty, by his poverty, by the cross, we might become rich. That we might get what he deserves because he got what we deserved. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every time you write that check, every time you give that gift to the homeless, every time that you give to your neighbors or your family members or your church members, every time you give to your fellow man, you are giving more than that gift. You are pointing them to the greater gift. You're pointing them to the gift that was given so that you would lay hands not in greed on money, but you would be released from the grip of money in order to lay hold of Jesus. And that's the gift that's been given. The last thing we see here is that Paul calls the church to give what they got. (laughs) Give what you got. Verses 10 through 15. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but the desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by the completing uh, it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it isn't acceptable according to what the person has, not what, uh, according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. So the point here is that we give out of the abundance of what God has given us. As a year ago that the church of Corinth had pledged since the writing of this letter that they would give to the church in Jerusalem. We know the conflict that happened with Paul and his apostleship. Now that has been reconciled, Paul goes back to what they had promised. There was this readiness to give to the church of Jerusalem. He says, let's finish what you started. Let's finish what you started and let's remember that you're not called to give in accordance with what you don't have, but accordance with what you have. And he says, this isn't a matter of others' life becoming easier and your life becoming burdened. This is a matter of this beautiful exchange of grace among the churches where a church that is burdened today is a church that is in need. And the church that has uh, provisions in favor today are going to show that provisions in favor to a church that has uh, been burdened. That one day you who are prosperous might be impoverished and that you who are impoverished have been blessed by those who have been prosperous and that the money doesn't really belong to you to begin with. And so you're going to open-handedly give it for the sake of others, for the glory of God. Because ultimately, it's a gift that God's given you. What we have 
does not belong to us. It belongs to God. First Chronicles 29, 14 says it this way, for all things come from you and of your own hand we have given you. One translation states, for, thy, for from thy hand we have given thee. From God's hand he gives to you and from your hand you give back to God. It means that it never belonged to you to begin with and that it ultimately came from him. And God has given us in accordance with the riches of his glory, more than enough of what we need so that we can be generous with what he has given us. It doesn't belong to you to begin with. In fact, Paul says in Romans, for from him and through him and to him belong all things. Because of that, to him be the glory forever and ever. And this is the way that we should be open-handed with money because it's not ours to begin with. And then there's a small little illustration here. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. You know, this little verse here shows us an illustration. And the illustration is the Israelite people wandering through the wilderness, and their provisions were low, and their stomachs were empty. And they cried out to God for help. And how did God help them? He gave them their daily bread. You can go out and you can gather the manna from the ground and gather too much. And if you gathered too much, it's spoiled by the end of the day. But if you gathered just what you needed, you had no lack. And guess what? Tomorrow, you gathered just what you needed, you'd have no lack. And the next day, and the next day. And this is an illustration, not just for the Israelites' plight in uh, the wilderness, but it's the journey that we have on the way home to heaven. That right now, the promise isn't that you will live here forever in this world and that you need to accumulate enough wealth to make this your heaven, but that heaven awaits you. And that while you're on earth, you're on a journey to the promised land and God will meet your need with his daily bread. Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread. And Jesus intends to answer that promise from the sufficiency of his grace. So, in response to where we're at as a world. You know, we may see one of the most significant global crises that we've ever seen before just around the corner. And here's what can happen. We just want to hoard. We just want to collect. Maybe that's our mindset right now. I can't be generous because I know that there's a problem tomorrow. I don't really know what it is, but I'm just going to collect because I know that if I have enough, then they'll get me through. You're not trusting in God, but you're trusting in mammon, money. And money will not save you. Because in the same way that the, the uh, manna from heaven left or spoiled, in the same way will the riches that you collect spoil. Because the same way that we came into this world naked is the same way we can leave it. We will not be able to bring our 401ks or our 403bs with us. But we will be able to lay up our treasures here on earth so that they reflect back the gospel of grace, the greatest gift. And this is my heart for you. That, man, you just might have to pray that this fear that's causing you to hoard is broken so that you can fully trust that God's got tomorrow because you can give what you got because you have enough and that was we trust in him 
He will sufficiently meet our daily needs. He will give us our daily bread. So church, would we be a church that sees that the grace of God is the foundation of generosity and we give or extend to others the grace of God? Moody, we also see that when we give, we reflect that the gospel is the greatest gift and that we would also see that what we have been given is what God has given us and he's given us more than enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us more than enough because Jesus, you are more than enough. You are more than enough for this life. And God, we turn to you and we trust you. Would you break the bondage of fear? Would you break the bondage of greed? Would you break the demonic lies that cause us to think that somehow we're not recipients of generosity? We can't be givers because we haven't been given enough. But Lord, that's, that's a mockery of you that we would know that you've given us enough in Christ and the basis of our generosity would be the work of Christ for us. In Jesus' name, amen.